Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Town City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 486. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Bringing out the big guns today in today's show. We have none other than Jack Campbell, science fiction writer on today's show, with Michael Narrowmore narrating. So you are in for a grand old time. Before that, just getting into the swing of things, just to let you know a few things. What I mentioned a while ago that I was doing this kind of high fat, low carb diet. Is no one got back in touch with us? Anyone doing that? Anyone? It's called keto. And I'm going into a kind of state of ketosis where the kind of the body burns, you know, fat to be fat <laughs> instead of stuff like that. And it seems to be going just for an update really well. Do you know what I mean? I'm down now to kind of two meals a day, which is unheard of with me. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, I sit at the fridge, I just get to pull a chair up, I used to, and just sit looking at into the fridge. And but I wanted to know about minerals and everything, what people take and everything. Like I'm, I've taken a variety of stuff, but if anyone out there, you know, I'm talking the, the kind of bizarre things like sea kelp and potassium and magnesium and all the kind of probiotic and prebiotic. Oh, I'm all there. I'm all over the place. That's what's happening with me at the moment and me allotment. It's going great. Oh, chilies are coming on me. Garlic is. Stupendous, man. Has anyone heard of elephant garlic? Oh, God, it's about nearly three foot high, the bloody plant, man. It's just unreal. So that's a little kind of insight to me. Let's get into this main story. The main fiction is Hell's Half Acre by Jack Campbell. It was originally published in Armad, edited by John Joseph Adams. Jack Campbell... In brackets, John G. Henry writes the New York Times best-selling The Lost Fleet series, The Lost Stars series, and the Steampunk Meets High Fantasy Pillars of Reality series. His most recent books are Vanguard, which comes out in May, the first book in the Genesis Fleet, and Daughter of Dragons, which follows the Pillars of Reality, which starting in June. Titan will begin bringing out Lost Fleet comics as well. Way to go, John. John Works has been published in 12 languages. Man, John is a retired Navy officer who served in a wide variety of jobs, including surface warfare, 
In brackets, the ship that drives out round the Navy. Amphibious warfare, anti-terrorism and intelligence. Being a sailor, he has known to tell stories about events which really happened but cannot be verified by any independent sources. This experience has served him well in writing a fiction. He lives in Maryland with his indomitable wife, S, and three great kids to being autistic. Michael Narrowmore is the narrator of over 100 audiobooks and, t- and counting. He's still going. From authors including Clive Barker, Wesley Chu, Mark E. Cooper, Ramaz Nam, his website, and there's a link on there. And I would like to spend, I'd like to spend you know, a couple of times, a couple of days, a couple of days, that'd be quite free, Michael. Yeah, a couple of drinks with Michael and just sit down and have a chat because he's a really nice guy and it'd be lovely to kind of meet him one day. Michael, you are a star. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Hell's Half Acre by Jack Campbell Narrated by Michael Naramore The armor isn't too bad to live in once you get used to being confined in a sort of obedient Iron Maiden for days, weeks, and sometimes months on end. Just bury me in my armor so I'll be comfortable. There's padding where padding needs to be, and an interior that flexes and adjusts to fit, because the last thing you need is a sore you can't reach for a few weeks. The air recyclers do a decent job, once your nose gets used to the smell, that is. After a few weeks in armor, you can't smell anything, including yourself, and we're all very grateful for that in the heavy mechanized infantry. We've got tubes that provide stuff that needs to go in, like food and water, and other tubes that handle what needs to go out afterwards. There's not much solid waste, since battle rations are concentrated as all hell, and the liquid gets recycled, which you learn not to think about when you're thirsty. If you run low on anything, packs can be swapped out on the outside of the armor for resupply. You can get music, video, just about anything when you're not on active ops. There's even a long-standing rumor that there's an Easter egg hidden in the programming that will activate different functions in those tubes below the waist to handle the one physical need the armor doesn't take care of and that young soldiers tend to miss pretty serious as time goes by. No one's ever found that egg, but looking for it helps pass the time. I sat amid a tumble of big rocks that we had nicknamed the Fort, surrounded by the rest of the platoon. We call ourselves Hell's Half Acre on account of Sergeant Hell. Lieutenants come and go, usually coming with a brand new shiny uniform and usually going in body tubes not long afterwards. But Sergeant Hell stays. I'm going to outlive all of you, she predicts when we haven't done something as good as we should have. Because you're all idiots! I'll be safe since the canaries will use up all of their ammo killing you. That's assuming you get that far, which you won't, because if any of you low-grade excuses for soldiers ever pull that again, I'll shoot you myself and save the canaries the trouble. The canaries don't look like little birds, of course. It would feel kind of stupid fighting to the death against little birds. But the way they talk sounds like canaries. And for noses, they've got these hard beak things on top of their mouths. I don't know much else about them, because the only ones I've ever seen were dead. It's that kind of war. 
We had dropped onto a planet named Niflheim about a month ago and been in our armor every seal tight every moment since then. The dense atmosphere was made up of various highly corrosive gases that would literally dissolve human flesh and bones. Katie was looking toward the canary lines east of us, just barely raising up enough to see, because any time anyone shows too much above the rocks, the canaries target it with some really impressive accuracy. Rain's coming. <laughs> Better get your washing off the line, Eco commented, then laughed at his own joke. The acid droplets began pelting us and the rocks that were all that Niflheim had in the way of landscaping, and then the winds started coming through. Everybody anchor, Sergeant Hell ordered. Before we could start to manually do that, the armor assists started punching out spikes from the arms of our armor. Place anchor here, my AA told me, highlighting a spot nearby as I got a good grip on my spike. My AA has a sort of mechanical voice, nothing recognizably male or female. Most soldiers set the voice for someone they know, and then grow to hate that someone as the voice nags at them. Or, after a while, living literally inside this thing with a nice voice, a few soldiers get way too attached to it. When they get weird like that, they get sent home for a while. But they have to be really weird before they get a ticket out of a combat zone. I planted the anchor with the boost from my armor's muscles. It went deep into the solid rock. Then I just locked my armor's grip on the anchor, told the AA not to relax the grip, and relaxed myself, even though the wind was trying to throw me across the landscape. Why the hell do we want this place? Corporate Higgins muttered. We were all linked by the tactical net, so that even in the midst of the hell outside our armor, we could talk in regular voices. Because the canaries want it. Eco replied. So why do they want it? Because it's here, Afrit suggested. It's worthless. You can't see more than a half a kilometer under the best conditions. The storms make air transport too risky for routine use, and even orbital launches can be hairy. It's not good for anything. The Sarge answered this time. You thinking again, Corporal Higgins? Yeah, I'm thinking. I warned you about that. Hell's voice was as flat and even as during any of her lectures. You keep thinking and they'll make you a lieutenant. You know what happens to lieutenants. That last one, Gonzo said. What was his name? He was with us like six hours. Stuck his head too high, Katie commented. Yeah, did they ever find it, Sarge? Nah. Listen, there'll be another lieutenant here soon. You apes try to keep this one alive at least a few days. Why the hell we gotta listen to some snot-nosed... Katie started to grumble. What was that? Sergeant Hell asked. The sergeant hadn't raised her voice, but Katie shut up fast, and I was glad I'd kept my own mouth shut. Oh, look, Sarge continued. It's time for a mandatory Law of War training session, and we have nothing else on the schedule. Considering that we were all hanging on to anchors while the wind made flags out of us in our heavy armor, none of us could claim any other priorities at the moment, but a chorus of moans and groans sounded anyway. Listen up for the verbal prompts, Hell told us, then ordered our AAs to start the session. 
The metallic voice of my AA started the canned lecture. Discipline on the battlefield is critical to the success of the mission and survival of your comrades. Which of the following offenses require a mandatory death penalty if committed in a combat zone? A. Disobedience of an order. B. Disrespect toward a superior officer. C. Absence from place of duty. D. Desertion. E. All of the above. E, I said. All of the above was almost always a safe answer on military tests, even if I hadn't had this same information drilled into my brain every week. Correct. True or false, planning to commit an offense is not as serious as actually carrying out the offense. False. I fantasized for the millionth time about dismantling my AA, teeny tiny piece by teeny tiny piece, while it jabbered on about unauthorized maintenance activity until it finally shut up when I'd taken enough of it apart. That's the thing about AAs. They're stupid. A friend of mine who's a code geek says they used to call stuff like that artificial intelligence, but there wasn't anything intelligent about it. The artificial intelligence stuff kept running faster and faster, but it stayed just as stupid. Hard to believe, but even someone like Katie has a lot more brains than an AA. The AAs handle housekeeping and routine tasks for the armor, keeping everything working right, assist in aiming weapons, monitor our health, life support, and damn all else. They also monitor whether we're following orders, even though they're too stupid to create orders themselves. Which meant I had to get a passing grade on this lecture, or Sergeant Hell's AA would be told by my AA, which would also inform everyone else up the chain of command that Private London had failed weekly law of war instruction. That would make Sergeant Hell very unhappy. And there's not a lot of things in this universe worse than making Sergeant Hell very unhappy. Failure to accompany your unit in any movement while in a battle zone is A. Dereliction of duty B. The betrayal of your comrades C. Indirectly lending aid and comfort to the enemy D. An offense justifying summary battlefield execution E. All of the above E. When you came down to it, as long as you assumed the correct answer for any offense in a battle zone was death, you'd pass the test. Which was another reason why we hated our AAs. Summary executions didn't require firing squads. Not when the AA handled everything keeping you alive. Weird soldiers might sometimes grow attached to their AAs, but the AA never got attached to the soldier in the armor. A summary execution order was just one more instruction for it to carry out, and you couldn't even run, not when the AA could freeze your armor. The storm had finally subsided, though visibility would still be worse than usual for a few hours, and the lecture ended when my armor reported a new arrival. My systems updated automatically, linking to whoever was inside that armor, and then an ID popped up. Lieutenant Yvonne Carolla but instead of launching into the usual I'm your new boss and we'll work great together speech, Lieutenant Corolla waved back behind our lines. General McDougal is coming through. That made us sit up.
A little. No sense in exposing anything to the canaries on the heights facing us. MacDougall had a reputation for touring the front himself, something I gave him grudging credit for. Most high-ranking officers were happy to study the battlefield using virtual tech, but MacDougall would actually come and look it over. The general is coming here, Sergeant Hell asked. Lieutenant, the general visited this same position a couple of days after we dropped. Then he's visiting here again, Corolla said in a don't-ask-questions voice. Even inside our armor, I could easily imagine a pair of eyes rolling at the rookie mistake. Telling a senior non-commissioned officer to shut up is almost always a bad idea. We waited silently after that, the tension radiating from the new lieutenant strong enough that I wondered why it didn't show up on my armor's sensors. Then, MacDougall arrived, his armor worn from long use. He had a half-dozen aides and guards with him, which made things a bit cramped among our rocks. How's it going? the general asked to no one in particular. Generals say stuff like that. It doesn't mean anything, and it especially doesn't mean they really want you to tell them how it's going after a month in armor getting shot at and rained on by acid. None of us answered, even though my AA prompted me. You have been asked a question by a superior officer. He didn't ask me, I told it, which confused the AA enough to shut it up. Finally, the lieutenant spoke up, trying to sound chipper amid the noxious atmosphere swirling around us. We're doing fine, General. Good, good. MacDougall moved forward a little more, toward the canary positions while his aides hovered nervously. I noticed he moved a little haltingly, but word had gone around that the general had been banged up a bit on the drop, so that wasn't surprising. Once the injury stiffened up inside the armor, it would have made it harder to walk. MacDougall stood there, peering through the murk toward the canary positions he couldn't actually see from here right now, then pivoted to look south. He had done that the last time he was here, too, so it made me a bit nervous. We'll remain on the attack, the general announced. One of the colonels linked in with the general must have said something. There. MacDougall said, pointing to a rise to the southeast. Axe Handle Hill, we called it. The haft of the axe was covered with canary foxholes. We will swing a diversion to the south of the hill, then hit the front with a heavy assault. More conversation that we couldn't hear, then MacDougall again. Make it happen. He walked away while we stared after him. Oh, man, Higgins muttered. Frontal assault on the axe handle? Are you questioning orders? Lieutenant Corolla demanded. Corporal... Corporal Higgins? The platoon will follow orders, Sergeant Hell said. Lieutenant, request a private conference. Not yet, Sergeant. I need to familiarize myself with unit personnel statistics and the local terrain first. Lieutenant Corolla was still working on that about ten minutes later when the orders to attack came down through our AAs. I looked over the attack route, suppressing a worried whistle. Gonna need some tactical autonomy, Sarge. Really, London? Why the hell do you think I've been beating tactical autonomy into all of you? Tactical autonomy is the loophole in terms of following orders, 
It lets you deviate some from an ordered route or select a different target, stuff like that. You can't go backwards, but you can go a bit to the side. In this case, it meant we could sneak along a path shielded by some more rocks until we were fairly close to the axe handle, instead of charging across open rock with no cover at all like the AAs were telling us to. Tactical autonomy? the new lieutenant asked. I haven't... there's... jump off, Sergeant Hell told her as the order came in. We have to go now, lieutenant. My own AA echoed the command, as did everyone else's AA. The brass didn't care whether or not the lieutenant had time to study the plan. They didn't care whether any of us had time for that. We were just supposed to follow the plan, and the AAs would ensure we knew where to go and what to do when we got there. We didn't even have to coordinate. Sarge had drilled it all into us. While the new lieutenant fussed and complained, we headed out, falling into an open formation with the sergeant off to one side, Corporal Higgins off to the other, and the lieutenant near the rear to oversee and coordinate everything. That's all standard. Being in the back doesn't protect the junior officers much, though, because the canary gear can spot comm nodes among armor. They can always tell who the unit commander is, and the canaries aim everything they've got at that commander, which is one of the big reasons why lieutenants don't last very long. I pulled out the range on my display so I could see the diversion going in. Light mechanized infantry, jumping fast to hit the axe handle on one flank. It was crazy to use the lights under those conditions. I waited for them to get slaughtered. But with Niflheim's atmosphere fouling targeting gear and the lights moving so much faster than heavies could, the lights kept coming through an intense canary barrage that didn't score many hits. The lights were taking hits, but not too many, and we could see canary fire all along the axe handle shifting to engage them. Sergeant Hell veered to the left and we charged out of the rocks toward the canaries, everyone dodging as they ran and keeping position on the Sarge, even though the AAs kept trying to tell us where to go. The axe handle itself was just starting to emerge from the murk as we ran toward it, which meant we were emerging into the sight of the canaries up there. Stick to the assault corridor, Lieutenant Corolla ordered us. We all kept our eyes on Sergeant Hell. She was amazing, confusing enemy targeting, means being almost totally random in dodging while still moving toward your objective. Nobody could do that like Sergeant Hell. And now she kept heading pretty straight for the axe handle even though the assault corridor glowing on our displays was about a hundred meters to the right. Tactical autonomy, Hell advised the lieutenant. There's no justification for deviating from orders here. Lieutenant, going right a hundred meters will cost time, and every second counts. Get this platoon inside that assault corridor now. I won't tell you again, Sergeant. Lieutenant, if you keep active transmitting, it will make it easier for the canaries to... The first couple of canary artillery rounds aimed at us bracketed Lieutenant Corolla. Then a dozen more slammed into the area between the first hits. Her link cut off completely, which meant chances were pretty high that those rounds had already killed the new lieutenant. We kept going. Less than an hour, Gonzo gasped as the axe handle loomed ahead of us and we began jumping recklessly up the slope. 
You gotta feel sorry for Lieutenant, uh, her. She never had a chance. Most of the canary fire was still aimed at the lights, who were falling back now. The canaries were starting to realize we were coming in as fast as heavies could move, but it took time for them to shift the aim of their heavy weapons, and our armor could handle most of the lighter canary weapons. We made the top without losing anyone else, even though our armor took some damage. Canary armor isn't as good as ours. At close range, we could put holes in it easy. On Niflheim, holes let in the atmosphere, which dissolves canaries just like it does humans. We cleaned out the canaries who tried to hold the axe handle, but most of them fled into the murk, leaving the top of the hill and their heavy weapons in our possession. According to our map displays, there was another ridge about a kilometer onward that the canaries could ford up on and establish a new line linked to their other positions. Should we pursue? Higgins asked. Our orders are to take and hold the axe handle, Sergeant Hell replied. Maintaining defensive positions until relieved. You gonna show some initiative, Corporal? Hell no, Sarge. I know what would happen to us even if we won. All of the above, I couldn't help adding. Hey, Private London's a comedian, the sergeant announced. Get your funny ass back down there and find what's left of the lieutenant. The canaries are dropping artillery rounds on that area to discourage reinforcements coming up here, I protested. Try not to let any hit you. Get going. A day later, we were back among the same rocks we called the fort. The guys from the 32nd took over defending the axe handle, and we trooped back to our rocks. When you're sleeping in your armor, it doesn't make too much difference which rocks you're around, but at least the rocks on top of the axe handle had been high ground. Now we were back with canary positions on the ridge ahead of us, looking down on us. The latest lieutenant joined us there. Lieutenant Cather had the sense to make nice with Sergeant Hell, or at least listen to her, and he kept his head down, so he survived for several days while we huddled among the rocks and the canaries tossed shots our way occasionally. Routine servicing, my AA announced. What routine servicing? Not that I cared, but I was seriously bored. Backing up files. Reviewing automated assist routines. Complete. I laid on my back, staring up at the swirling mess of an atmosphere which covered Niflheim. No stars shining down on us here. Automated assist routines. That reminded me of something. Hey, AA. Yes, Private London. When I found what was left of Lieutenant, uh, what was her name? Lieutenant Corolla. Yeah, that lieutenant. Her lower torso looked like it had walked maybe five meters after she got hit before it collapsed. Emergency full assist. When Lieutenant Corolla was incapacitated, her lower armor began walking autonomously to bring her to aid. However, system damage was too extreme, and atmospheric corrosion caused additional damage, resulting in rapid total armor failure. Incapacitated? Everything above Lieutenant's waist was gone. The AA didn't answer, probably because its little code routines had decided my last statement wasn't a question. But it might have been because the answer was classified. You never knew. 
Those special functions for the tubes below the waist might not actually exist, but we all knew stuff was embedded in the armor that we hadn't been told about. The general is on his way, Lieutenant Cathar announced. Again? It slipped out before I could stop it. Shut up, London, Hell told me. If the general wants to come back here every week, that's his call. Everybody try to look like soldiers. I rolled to my side and got into sort of an alert-looking crouch near a really big rock, while the other members of the platoon also took up more active positions. General MacDougall came through the same way as before, once again accompanied by his aides and guards. How's it going? Lieutenant Cathar answered immediately. Great, sir. Good, good. MacDougall moved farther forward, peering at the enemy lines. We can't stay on the defensive. We need that position. His hand raised and pointed to the ridge. This time I heard the colonel, who answered the general. Sir, the initial attack from here during the first week after landing was thrown back. The Canaries have substantially strengthened their defenses on that ridge since then. We can't stay on the defensive, MacDougall repeated. We need that position. He turned toward us, and I felt a strange sense of reliving the past. This was just as that first attack had happened. MacDougall here, eyeing the ridge, waving us forward. That time we had just gotten a serious taste of how tough the Canary defenses were when a sudden storm blew in and we had been forced to fall back among the rocks. That storm had saved our butts, but this time I couldn't see any signs of bad weather coming. The general's arm came up, and he swung it in an arc toward the Canary lines. Get em, heavies! He had said that the first time, too. Sergeant Hell said nothing, just coming to her feet as the rest of us did the same. General? Lieutenant Cathar asked, his voice incredulous. Make it happen, General MacDougall said. That was it. A direct order to attack right there, right now. My AA prodded me, my display flashing with an attack route aimed straight at the ridge. If we didn't follow that order, our own AAs would lock us down until the execution commands were received. But tactical autonomy wouldn't help here. Not when it was just a straight shot across open ground. I looked toward the others, knowing what they were thinking and feeling even though I couldn't see their expressions. We're dead whether we disobey the order or try to carry it out. Might as well go down fighting and take our damned AAs with us. We made it maybe forty meters out of the rocks before the canaries opened up. I had never been in a barrage that intense, so heavy that the command net links fuzzed and popped. Lieutenant Cathar went first, of course. I saw Gonzo stagger, then explode. Higgins seemed to float upward a little, and then he just disappeared in a blast. Katie did a funny kind of sideways dance and fell over. Something jerked at my legs, but I didn't fall. I felt a peculiar sense of weightlessness beneath me, as if I was walking on air. My legs didn't hurt anymore from running. The view in front of me tilted, as if I were falling, but I couldn't feel my legs or get them under me. My AA's voice sounded oddly distant. 
Major damage. Activating auto tourniquets. Activating auto first aid. Activating auto amputation to seal armor. Major damage. Wounded needing pickup. I fell onto the rocks, wondering why the damage display on my armor wasn't showing anything beneath my thighs. Something hit me really hard, and I rolled. Then another hit, another roll, more damage lights flashing on my display. And somewhere in all that, the drugs from the first aid and the shock hit me, so I passed out with the toxic gases of Niflheim swirling over my armor. My last thoughts were wishes that I could have seen the stars, and that the stupid AA would shut the hell up. I woke up. The first thing that registered on my brain was that I wasn't in armor. But after a moment's rising panic, I realized the air was good in here. The low ceiling was rock. So were the walls. On either side of the medbed I was in, and on the other side of the long, narrow room, other medbeds stretched in long rows. I couldn't make them out well, though, and I remembered they had added distort fields to medbeds to give patients privacy. I looked down at myself as tumbled memories surfaced. Below my waist, I was locked into a rebuild unit. I was still staring at that when a medic came by her eyes filled with that seen-too-much look. She didn't say anything to me, just checking the rebuild. What happened? I finally asked. The medic looked at me. You lost both legs. Your armor had to activate emergency seals at the thighs, or the atmosphere would have got in and turned you to mush. We're doing a fix. This is just temporary, though. We're having problems with our bone reconstruction gear, so we'll do an evac of you later so a full facility can do a proper leg rebuild. Where is this? Are we still on Niflheim? Yeah, underground. This was the first room they finished. Your armor was totaled. You want the AA? Hell no. Wipe it. Uh, do you know how many others from my unit? No, sorry. The medic looked toward the front of the room as something caught her attention. I looked down at the rebuild unit, grasping my waist, recalling the last things I had seen as we attacked the ridge. Had anybody else at all survived? How had I made it? The general's back, the medic sighed. Every damned day. Try to look military if he stops to talk to you. I could turn my head enough to see the general. His aides were out of armor but he was still fully sealed in, even though this was one of the only places on Niflheim where you could unseal. I wish he'd take off the armor, the medic grumbled. He had to wear it the first couple of times he visited because the air in here was still being scrubbed and we were all still suited up. But this is a medical facility, not a combat post. The general came down the lines of cots, occasionally pausing to talk to someone. Then he came to me. I looked at the sealed face shield, blank and menacing in strange contrast to MacDougall's voice, which sounded bluff and comradely. How's it going? I just stared back at the general until I noticed a colonel giving me an angry look. Okay, I said. Good, good. 
That made something snap inside me. I lost my legs, I said. Your sacrifice is an inspiration to us all, General MacDougall said. My platoon got wiped out. You ordered us into a hopeless attack. We can't stay on the defensive. We'll do what we can for you, soldier. I lost it. I admit it. If Sergeant Hell had been there, she would have given me holy hell. But this general had ordered my platoon to be slaughtered in an attack with zip, zero, nil chance of succeeding. And now he was standing here, still in his damned armor, not even giving me the courtesy of eye-to-eye contact while mouthing meaningless phrases. You lousy son of a bitch! You murdered my platoon! Do you understand that? Does it mean anything to you? The medical officers and the aides standing near General MacDougall were gaping at me, too stunned for the moment to react. You want to know what you can do for me, you stinking bastard? I shouted. Open your damned face shield and look me in the eye. Can you do that? A colonel lunged for me, his hand coming to rest hard on my shoulder. Shut up, soldier, he told me. Just open your face shield! I yelled at MacDougall, ignoring the colonel. General MacDougall's hands rose slightly toward his face, and I saw the face shield crack open and begin to rise. Remember when I talked about how bad you get to smelling in armor after a while? What came wafting out from MacDougall's armor was incredibly bad. Bad enough that the colonel pinning me down stared at the general as the faceplate rose. I was watching the colonel and saw him grow really pale, so I looked toward the general. What looked out at us from the armor had been dead for a while. Someone screamed. Other people shouted, while General MacDougall's armor just stood there. Then, MacDougall's voice came from it again. Your sacrifices will not be in vain, the voice boomed out before another colonel managed to punch in an emergency deactivation code. The medic was fumbling with the rebuild unit attached to me. I felt a surge of meds hit me and blacked out again. When I woke up, everyone was gone, and so was General MacDougall's armor. For another day, nobody told me anything. The medics who walked past or checked me occasionally said they hadn't heard anything, which I knew was a lie. Rumors had to be flying all over the place. The second day since I woke up had almost ended, the lights starting the slow dim to evening illume when I saw her enter the medical ward. Sergeant? Sergeant Hell? I couldn't believe it. The Sarge walked up to my bed and looked down at me. Goofing off again, London? I need some new legs, Sarge. Pretty weak excuse for lying in bed all day. They'll grow them back. Yeah. Is there anybody else besides you and me? Sergeant Hell sat down on the chair beside my bed, her eyes on mine as she shook her head. You and me, she repeated. That's it. How did you? Hell shrugged. Katie fell on top of me. 
I got her up and she came apart. So, I dropped the pieces and started forward again. She touched her head, and I realized a faded bruise covered most of her forehead. Something hit me hard. I went down, almost all systems in my armor dead. Saw you lying there? Nothing else moving? No emergency beacons visible from the others? A rain of fire coming down from the canary positions on the ridge, so I grabbed you and hold you back. I think I passed out before I made it to the rocks, but somebody recovered us both. They stuffed me into the concussion recovery magic box, and a half day ago, they let me out and woke me up again, good as new. Hell touched her forehead again. Almost. I hear you yell at a general. A dead general. They were going to court-martial you, Sergeant Hell said, because you didn't know he was dead when you mouthed off. Sarge, you would have deserved it too, you stupid ape. But if they court-martialed you, they'd have to shoot you, which means a lot of publicity might get out, and the brass doesn't want that. No, sir. How long had he been dead? I hadn't been able to get that face out of my thoughts. Three weeks, a couple hours, and a few minutes, according to the autopsy. He died about a week after we landed. The Sarge looked around the casualty ward. His AA had been running everything, just going on auto. He must have ceded more and more routine tasks to it. So when he couldn't function at all anymore, the AA just stepped in and kept doing what he and it had been doing. Why the hell couldn't MacDougall's armor tell everyone he was dead? We can't get a sore throat without the armor alerting the medics so they can order remote treatment from the first aid modules. Hell sat back, still looking across the ward. The autopsy also found out that MacDougall's heart had been failing. He'd hacked his armor, so the med readouts showed he was okay. When he actually died, well, the readouts showed he was okay. He hacked his armor? Nobody caught that? MacDougall wanted to be the hero of Niflheim, and he was the general, London. Generals get to play by their own rules. If they don't want their armor systems inspected and deloused, they're not inspected and deloused. You should know that by now. How long have you been in the infantry? Too damned long. You haven't learned a hell of a lot. It felt so normal. So routine, the Sarge telling me how dumb I was. But I was in a bed in the casualty ward, and we were all that was left of the platoon. I had to blink fast to try to keep from crying. Let it out, Sergeant Hell said. But I ain't gonna hug you. So, I cried for a while. They encourage that these days. Don't bury the feelings when you bury your friends. That's the motto. Seriously, ever since I first heard it, I've wanted to kill the morons who thought up that motto. The Sarge waited until I stopped blubbering. You gonna be okay? Yeah, Sarge. Why wouldn't anyone else tell me about MacDougall? Why are the brass so worried about keeping it quiet? Think about it, London. MacDougall had been dead for three weeks. Before we were ordered to assault that ridge, how was the battle going? I did my best to concentrate on that, running mentally through the blur of movement and boredom and fear and waiting and fighting that made up my memories. 
I think we were winning. Yeah. That move against the canary position at Axe Handle Hill? Pretty sweet, huh? Perfect use of a diversion using the right kind of troops. Yeah, I agreed. That was two weeks ago. MacDougall had already been dead for a week. His armor assist ordered that attack, using the patterns it had learned about how MacDougall fought. Hell looked at me again. Now, how many bosses have we worked for who never would have come up with a plan like that? And how many of those would have ordered or did order senseless attacks like the one against that ridge that we got cut to ribbons on? I didn't have to think hard about that. Several. What's the point, Sarge? Before she could answer, I understood. That stupid AA did as good as some of the humans who've commanded us in the field? It did better than some of them? Even though it was incapable of original, independent thought? Yeah. Hell stood up. Think about it. Or don't. You might be happier that way. Now, as long as you're lying in bed, get some rest, so you can get back on duty status as soon as possible. I watched her go, walking steadily away between the lines of beds and the wounded on them. Sarge? Hell stopped and turned, looking back at me across the distance. Yeah? I didn't die before you did. She grinned. Not yet. I lay there, trying not to think, as Sergeant Hell left the building. And there you go. Oh, bring it on. Jack, thank you. Oh, John, thank you so much. Marvellous tale there, marvellous tale. Thank you so much. And Michael, you little dear. Still got it, lad, eh? eh? Keeping up with the young ones, still got it. <laughs> so that is today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget a couple of things. Um, what, can I, what was I going to mention? Oh, yeah. I keep I kind of let this one slip there. But Perion, if, you know, please help out there if you can. little monthly donation just secures it. I took all my kind of paper. Oh, man. Paperwork. I'm eventually trying to put it on the, like, audio, on the software as well. But me, I changed my accountant now for the kind of the start of the year. And I'm going to these kind of bigger accountants for Starship Silver and I'm just waiting for that bill to come in man so help us out until next week just like to say good night from me this presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction you can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website www.districtofwonders.com thank you for listening
Get out there by and by. 